Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. I'd like to do something a little bit different. Those of you here, those of you um, at home. In just a moment, I'm gonna have you stand for the reading of the word. And this is a practice that many, many churches, not every church, but many churches have done for a long, long time. And the practice began by standing in reverence for the word of God. Now, like any tradition, it can become dead. And lots of churches, it just became ritualistic. Um, We did not have that as a common practice here at Thrive, was to stand for the reading of the word. But in just a moment, I'm going to have you stand for the reading of the word. And those of you at home in your bunny slippers... (laughs) In your blanket, I'm going to ask you to stand too in your bedroom, in your living room, wherever you are, for the reading of the word because of this. As I've been in prayer over the last uh, few months and seeing what we've seen for a long time, not just in the last year, where there's a departure from the things of God, even amongst the American church, where some can come to church and leave exactly the same, kind of religion. Yeah. It's religion, and that's kind of all that it is. And although it's a good practice, it's better to be here than not. It's better to be online with us than not. If it's just religion, it's dead. Mm -hmm. And what I would hope here at Thrive is that we always remember the word of God is our authority. It is the standard of Mm decision-making, the standard of conduct. If we're not sure what to do, go to the word. And if we don't like it, we still do the word. Mm-hmm. Because the word of God is preeminent. Yes. It supersedes your feelings, my feelings, our circumstances, the trends of society. We are in a post-Christian America. And the true church must maintain its identity. Amen. And so we won't be ritualistic or traditional. But we want to be reverent. Mm-hmm for the word. So here or at home, um, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word, and and Lori will be reading the word with us. Would you stand for the reading of the word? And we're going to go to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, through chapter 6, verse 2, and read this together. Amen. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn <clears throat> with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, "Are you for us or are you for our enemies?" "Neither," he replied. "But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come." Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, "What message does my Lord have for his servants?" The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then Joshua, then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. 
The title of the message today in our series, Heart and Soul, as we journey through Joshua, the title of the message is How to Keep Winning. How to Keep Winning. Now, I'm wearing a majestic (laughs) Dodger jersey. I wear it at my own peril here in Northern California, but I have big associate pastors, and so I feel like I can get away with it. Um, the Dodgers won the World Series. Now, for those of you diehard Giants fans, you got to chill because it's been like 32 years. The last time that they won, I couldn't even drive. That's how long ago that it was. In order for the Dodgers, though, to keep on winning, they can't stay the same. I believe that God wants his people to keep winning, but we can't stay the same. God's will throughout Scripture is obvious. He wants to bless you, not curse you. Lift you up, not put you down. He created you to be the head and not the tail. Without a doubt, God is for you and your victory, not against you. He's for your joy, not against your joy. He's for your peace, not against your peace. God built you, created you, called you out of darkness into light so that you could win. When Canaan was about seven years old, he was on this little, little league team. Now, this is so non-competitive that, you know, it was coach pitch and there were little boys and girls on the team. And it, how many have had kids do little league or basketball or dance? It isn't how well they perform, it's how cute they look in their uniforms. <laughs> right, you're taking pictures, video, right? And so Kanan was on a team and I try to be a good dad. There's never really enough volunteers, um, in those kinds of things. And so I said, I'll, I'll help you, coach. I don't really know a lot about how to play baseball, but I'll help you. So the little boys, first day of practice, they're out there and, and they get them in lines and they're just playing catch. And this little boy shows up late and all the, all the kids are partnered up, but he doesn't have a partner. And so I said, come here, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw with you. So his mom gets her little camping chair out. The little boy gets out there. He looks a little bit awkward, but he's got his glove. He's got his hat. He's got his pants. He kind of looks like a baseball player. And so I have the ball, and I said, are you ready? And he's like, yes. And so then I throw the ball. Now, I don't throw a fastball. I throw a lob ball, right? Because there's seven. And as soon as I let the ball go, he does this. <laughs> and I'm like, as I let it go and I see him assume this position of self-defense with his glove up here, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get sued. <laughs> that ball is going to hit him right on the nose. His mama's right here. His dad might be big and might chase me. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm watching as the ball goes and he's like this. And there must have been angels in the outfield. <laughs> Because the Holy Spirit directed that ball right into that little boy's glove. And he's like this, boom. And he looks at it, and he looks at me, and he's smiling this big. It was so impactful. I remember this was probably 18 years ago. I remember his face was like this. And he looks at his mother. His mother's crying with pride, right? And I'm like, he has never caught a ball before in his life. This is like a miracle. And so I'm happy, he's happy, mom's happy. And I said, okay, throw it back. So he takes off his glove and he throws the whole thing back at me. (laughs) 
Baseball mitt, glove, everything. He didn't know he had to take it out and throw it. Needless to say, he was not a starter. (laughs) Can I just tell you that God does not want you to be lucky. He wants you to be good. He doesn't want you fortunate. He wants you blessed. He doesn't want you hoping something good falls in your glove. He wants you to enjoy the fullness of his blessings in your life. He doesn't want you to just so happen to be somewhere. He wants you to live by divine appointment. But this takes alignment on your part. It takes intention on our part. It takes submission on our part. This is what, are you still with me? This is what God is doing with Joshua in this passage. It's almost like an orientation at your first day on the job or your first day in high school, your first day in college, is God meets Joshua just outside the city of Jericho. Now, now, now we, we've been preaching on this, so if you missed a few weeks, just go back on YouTube. You can find it. We're preaching to Joshua this year. And everything, someone say everything. Everything's going good. It's like you got out of bed and your back didn't hurt. You go out to the front yard, someone mowed your lawn. The sun is shining, not too hot, just perfect, little breeze. And then your wife comes and says, honey, you want to go to Sizzler? It's that kind of a time. It's that kind of a time. Everything's going right for Joshua and Israel. There's a, they have a new leader, Joshua. He's got his stuff together. There's a new direction. They're walking forward, not in circles in the desert. It's a new territory. They're in Canaan, not in the desert. There's a new conviction. They're obeying. They're not complaining. God has already shown he's with Joshua just as he was with Moses, just like he parted the Red Sea for Moses. He's parted the Jordan for Joshua. He's reinstituted reinstituted the covenant identity through circumcision with his people. They've already worshiped and and enjoyed the celebration of the Passover in Canaan. They've already begun to eat of the produce of the land. Pastor Chris preached on this last week. All of their enemies, it said, the Amorite kings and the Canaanite kings, their hearts are melting with fear. Things are going well. You ever had a day like that? a week like that. I want to remind you as your pastor, everybody has key decision-making moments. They're called watershed moments. If you ever heard that phrase, it's a point in the geography where a water source is coming down, say a mountain, and then there's something that happens in the geography where the water begins to split to do two different reservoirs. That's the watershed moment. That's a decision-making moment. And Joshua, who is riding high, I mean, everybody's happy. The music is still playing. They're eating out of the land that God has given them. And God meets Joshua and he orchestrates a decision-making moment. He orchestrates a watershed moment. What are you going to do, Joshua? Because friends, sometimes we think that the most important moments of decision-making are orchestrated by difficulty and pain and trying seasons when we choose to submit to God in spite or despite our pain. But can I tell you that God can orchestrate decision-making moments 
in the midst of your blessing, provision, and success, where he asks you to submit to him in spite of your strength. Welcome to the church of America, where it goes so well for us so often that we have stopped relying on him and too often relied on ourselves. See, are you with me still? Are you with me there with your bunny slippers? Everybody has moments. Someone say everybody. Everybody has moments where they must remind themselves God's love, watch this, God's love is unconditional, but his blessings aren't. God's love is unconditional. He will love you no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what shame, no matter what lies. That's why we said uh, uh, fear can go to hell. Shame can go there too. It doesn't belong to those who are found in Christ. It comes from the pit of hell. Doesn't belong to us. It's unbecoming of a child that abides in the kingdom of God. God's love for us is unconditional, but his blessings are contingent to our obedience. A good father doesn't give his son everything they want just because he loves him. Are you following me? Some people want to make God like that Santa Claus character. God, some people want to make God into some grandfather that never could say no to their dear little granddaughter. That's not the God we serve. His love is unconditional. His blessings are not. If you want to keep winning, how many want to keep winning? I want to keep winning. And you can. You can. You don't have to be a victim of circumstance. You don't have to be a victim of what's going on in society. You don't have to be a victim of nepotism in your, in your job uh, place, your career. You can keep winning if you'll submit to three questions. Three questions for you. Three questions for you. Three questions that have to be answered the correct way. Someone say correct. Because not everything's correct. Truth means there are such things as false, right? So it isn't, this isn't just, uh, you know, how you feel about it. It isn't like you're painting, like, oh, you could put a little, a little tree. What was the name of that, that painter? Barbara. Put a little, little tree, little tree right there. I feel like a little tree right there. I feel like putting a little, oh, look at that cute little cloud, right? No, no, no. That's cool for Bob Ross. I actually like Bob Ross with his hair. He's cool. But when it comes to truth, there's true and there's false. So there, here are three questions we have to answer the correct way in order to thrive or be blessed. What is winning? We have to answer that question. What is winning? What does God require? And how should we respond? Those are three questions. What is winning? What does God require? How should we, re we respond? First, what is winning? As I shared with you since the beginning, God's intention is that you win that you have victory. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Someone say amen. amen. Someone say if. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be on top, never at the bottom. Romans 8, 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors or more than victors, more than winners. How many know that verse? We are more than winners through him who loved us. God created you to win. But I have to tell you that God determines what winning looks like. Come on, somebody. No one said amen. 
God gets to determine. You don't get to determine what winning looks like. Society doesn't get to determine what winning looks like. The problem is that we come to Christ, but we bring the lens of our upbringing. We bring the lens of our socioeconomic status. We bring the lens of our fraternity or our sorority. We bring to our, to, our, to our view the lens of the New York Times or Fox News. Let me tell you something. God determines what a win is. God does. Sort of, and we have, to, we have to learn to look at things his way. There was a, a, a group that went into a mental hospital. They were suppliers of a mental hospital, suppliers of supplies, beds, and, 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 and equipment. And as they toured this mental hospital, there was one of the team members of the suppliers was kind of rude. You ever met someone who's just kind of obnoxious? They say all the wrong things too loud. Can I get a witness? How many got a cousin? No, no, don't raise your hand. Because not only do they say the wrong thing, they say it way too loud. And this guy's like kind of talking. He's kind of calling them loonies and kind of crazies. And the, the, the people around him and his team are embarrassed. And he's kind of annoying the, the, the staff. And they finally finished the tour and... And they, they're, they're kind of just hobnobbing with the, with the uh, hospital staff. And this, this rude guy goes to one of the security guards and says, hey, are all these people sick and loony? And the, the, the security guard said, well, no, just those who fail the test. And the man said, well, what's the test? And he says, well, we, we take them to the bathroom. We fill a tub full of water. We put a, a bucket in there and we put a cup in there and we put a spoon in, in the water. And then we ask the, the potential patient, which, uh, what, how do you get rid of the water the fastest? And the, the man said, oh yeah, well, it'd be obvious it's the bucket. He says, no, the normal ones say, pull the plug out of the bottom of the tub. <laughs> Shall I see if there's room for you? be pretty sure of ourselves, but we cannot be thinking about winning the way the world thinks about winning. You can be so sure of yourself to life's, the answers to life questions and still be wrong. What is winning? We got to take a closer look. Someone say, look closer. You got to be serious about such things. Stop yourself in the middle of the day. Stop yourself in the frenzy of our society. Stop yourself and ask yourself, what is winning? What is winning? Maybe I'm looking at winning the way my, my dad did or my grandfather did or my mentor did, and maybe I've never asked God what it looks like for me to win. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, one of my favorite passages. I hope you can memorize this one day. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may test, that by testing you may discern what is the perfect will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, be transformed in your mind so you can figure out what's good. Someone say amen. What is winning? I'll submit this to you. My definition just for today. Winning is striving to be and do who God created you to be and what God created you to do. I'm going to say it again. Winning, someone say win. Striving to be and do who God created you to be and what God created you to do. In Philippians chapter three, this is how Paul puts it. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I what? Press on to take hold of that. For that, I'm gonna press on to get a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm gonna get a hold of that, which is the reason God got a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Someone say that. I press on toward the what? Goal. To win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is how Paul knows he's winning. Am I doing what God got a hold of me to do? Are you with me? Paul, who had been taught by Gamaliel, one of the best Hebrew scholars of his time, Paul, who was affluent and, and riding high in his religious profession, was humbled by God, and he realized, I'm only winning if I'm about my father's business. Now, are you, are you still ready? Because you might not understand, this is, Philippians is called the, the epistle of joy, the letter of joy. It's a prison epistle. Paul's writing this in a dark Roman prison. He's writing this not in a prison like today. No toilet, no three squares, no exercise, no light, no warmth. He asks for a, 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 a tunic from one of his disciples because he's cold. Yet he writes this, I am about my father's business. I'm on my way. I'm straining. I'm doing what God has called me to do. Are you following that? See, winning isn't just having it your way. Winning isn't just getting it all to go the way you thought it would go. Paul didn't write his story after the road to Damascus and plot his course through Roman prisons. He didn't plan a shipwreck. He didn't plan to get beat to death. He was on his way doing God's will. And that's what constituted winning. So we have to ask ourselves the right questions in order to get the right answers. What is winning? And the second thing is, what does God require? What does God require? Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 14. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, we're back to the passage, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you what, for us or for our enemies? Verse 14, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. See, too many people ask the wrong questions, just like Joshua did. People ask, are you for me, God, or against, or, or are you for me or for them? They ask questions like, how can I get God to bless what I'm already doing? Are you still with me? Don't worry, the hot dogs are going to be warm. Pay attention. <laughs> he said, people ask questions like, how can I get God to bless this relationship I'm already in? How can I get God to bless this job I already took? How can I get God to pay the bills I've already obligated myself with? How 
can I get God to give me what I desire? Why doesn't God hurry up and respond to my request like he's a waiter at Applebee's and you want more Diet Pepsi? These are the questions we ask God. But God answers the question that should have been asked. But was it? He says, I'm not with either you or your enemy, but I come as commander of the army of the Lord. Now watch this. I hope you can follow this. God responds in a way to Joshua that makes both Joshua and his army and the Canaanites and all their armies irrelevant. It doesn't matter who you are, Joshua, or what you bring. It doesn't matter who's against you and what they bring. I come in command of the army of the Lord. It doesn't matter who you are and what your goals are. It doesn't matter who your enemies are and what their goals are. Joshua, like we, can come face to face with the commander of God's army. This is an army that is backed by the one with all the power of creation. This army cannot be sneaked up on because the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. This army of the Lord remains undefeated. This army of the Lord serves the will of God Almighty. Doesn't matter what you have or don't have. It doesn't matter who's against you and what they have. We serve the Lord. Who has all power. Creative power. He's never surprised. He has it all. You know why his army wins? His army wins not because of the army, but because of him. He cannot lose. So what does God require? Let me answer the question for you. God requires allegiance and an exchange of wills. He requires your allegiance. And he requires you to lay down your will and submit to his. This is how you win. This is how you win and keep on winning. A violin who's made by a master craftsman would never have the audacity to complain where this master violin maker sets that violin. And it would have no business if it could speak to curse when the violin creator, designer, stretches its strings. And it wouldn't begrudge this master violin maker of what music he plays. Neither should we complain or make demands of God who is your good creator. We say your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. This is the heart of Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. While he is praying in the garden, he can hear, because he's omniscient, he's God. He can hear Judas betraying him. He can hear the soldiers get ready to come. He can hear his friends snoring next to him instead of keeping watch. He can hear Satan himself mocking and laughing at him because he knows his plan is coming together against Jesus. And yet still Jesus, praying with drops of blood coming from his brow, he still has the faithful audacity to say, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me, but not my will but yours be done. Yours be done. Jesus himself gives us the example. Now let me put this in today's context, please. In as highly charged a political atmosphere as we've been in, I'm gonna go there. Statistics and social media tell us that the great majority of evangelical Christians 
were greatly disappointed on November 3rd by the election. There are believers asking, why didn't God intervene? There were prophets that told us our quote-unquote guy would win. Why wouldn't God stop this movement? Let me give you a pastoral word of counsel. Beware the doctrines of man that intertwine ideology and theology. Beware an ideology that would attempt to make even another smaller Messiah. Beware this temptation to look for salvation from government. Let me tell you, don't be but dismayed, Christian, if your quote-unquote man isn't where you want him to be because God is still where he should be, on the throne and in your hearts. And I ain't done. And beware, Christian, if your man is in the White House today. Do not replace the throne of God with the Oval Office. This is the exchange of wills. This is where we decide to reposition our allegiance to the one and only King of Kings and Lord of Lords, where our allegiance belongs. Come on, believer. Let's not be dismayed, but let's be recalibrated. If we were building houses on sand, get back to the rock. We keep winning. When we exchange our will for his, I'm going over. Can I go over? Just What is winning? What is winning? I got to go with it. What is winning? What does God require? The third question. How should we respond in order to keep winning? What is our response? I told you that his love is unconditional, but his blessings are contingent. They are conditional. So we have a response. Look, look, listen. How we respond really matters. Are we going to be hearers alone or doers? Are we gonna build on the word or not? Joshua could have responded like a stubborn macho warrior that he was. He could have questioned God. He could have questioned, what do you mean you're not on my side? Didn't you say you'd be with me like you were with Moses? Didn't you part the Jordan for me? Didn't you let the people know I'm the new leader? Didn't you make the nations terrified of me? Did you bring us all this way just to leave us? James chapter one, let me take you there. James chapter one, verse 20 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Someone read it with me. Do what it says. Read it again. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, read that with me, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will win. Your response, oh, I wish I had another 30 minutes, but listen to this. Your response matters, you know why? Because it's the only thing in question. The only thing in question is your response. There's no question God can do it. There's no question in his word that he has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. There's no question that if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're his child and he's a good father. The only question, the only thing the jury is still out on is what will be your response. It isn't whether or not he can provide. 
It isn't whether or not he can heal. It isn't whether or not he can defend. It's what will be your response when he calls you, when he calls you to obedience. What will be your response? Let me answer the question. How should we respond in order to keep winning? I'm going to give you four, four here that we see in Joshua. Someone say, worship, listen, obey, and see. Say it again. Worship, listen, obey, and see. Verse 14, the angel of the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army says, neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then what does Joshua do? He fell face down to the ground in reverence. When we feel God challenging our status quo, when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when we feel we're at a watershed moment, the first instinct needs to be to worship. It needs, it needs me to stop and worship. The posture of Joshua told you everything you needed to know. He bowed himself in reverence. The posture of surrender, it, it shows us he recognizes God himself is speaking to him. This is called a Christophany in biblical studies. This is Jesus Christ himself showing up in the Old Testament. He recognizes this. This is God. This is the Lord. What do we do when we have a Christophany? What do we do when God shows up in your commute? What do we do when Jesus speaks to you in the quiet of the night? What do you do when Jesus comes and challenges you in your status quo? The proper response is to stop and to worship, to declare you are God and I am not. God and I am not. I worship you. I worship you. I humble myself. I exalt you. I honor you. I extol you. I praise you. I celebrate you. I honor you. I glorify you. That's the proper response of a believer. Not to get all upset. Not to get all uptight. Not to change the channel. It's to stop and to worship. We got to listen. Listen. When Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence, he asked him, what message, what message does the Lord have for his servants? See, he wanted to hear what God had to say. Do you want to hear what he has to say? Or do you want to just be busy and not have to pay attention? There was a woman who went to the store, fell in love with a dress, brought it back home, put it on for her husband, and the first words that came out of his mouth were not, you look beautiful. It was, how much did that cost? How many know what I'm talking about? <coughs> and she gets a little bit nervous because <coughs> it was a lot of money. And so she tells him, he's like beside himself. He's having one of those Sanford and Son moments. <coughs> one of those Fred Sanford. If you're old enough to know, you know. And he looks at his wife and he says, you know, we can't afford that. And she's chagrined and she, she says, I know, I know, I know. But the devil convinced me to get it. <laughs> and the husband's exasperated. And he says, well, honey, why didn't you tell him, get behind me, Satan? And she said, I did. And he told me it looks good from this side too. <laughs> 
tell you, the devil knows how to get you to do what he wants you to do. What voice are we listening to? We need to judge for ourselves and ask ourselves, are we really listening to God? Worship, listen, obey. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Read the last four words with me. And Joshua did so. We have to have that attitude. We're gonna listen. We're gonna worship, we're gonna listen. And when he tells us something, we gotta do it. This is how you keep winning. It isn't being about your business, it's about being about your father's business. It's, I don't want this cup, but if it's your will, I'll drink of it. I'm gonna do it. And the last one is that we have to see. We have to see. Joshua chapter six, one through two. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, read it with me. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. That had more time, I tell you more, but just suffice to say, he takes Joshua, he looks, and he says, look, I've given you the city. This is to see in two ways. I see with my eyes and I see with my faith. See, I've given it to you. And understand, I've given it to you. It's like when you tell your kid, don't climb up there, I took, and they fall, see? See it? Don't you get it? Understand. Jericho is one of the most ancient of cities in the history of civilization. Those walls were not new. They had been rebuilt for thousands of years. They were expert wall builders. It's the oldest, most constantly inhabited city in the history of man. There were towers that they had built overlooking the walls. Not, no, no, at times, double the walls. At times, double the walls. The new kid on the block shows up and God says, see, I'm giving you that city and its kings. It doesn't matter how long those walls have been there. It doesn't matter how well they've been built. It doesn't matter that you don't see people coming and going. You might have a situation in your life. There's no movement. It looks the same. Nothing's happening. Those walls are still big. The enemy's peering down at me. I'm in a vulnerable position. They're high. I'm low. And God says, see, I will give you the city. I will give you the kings. There's not a thing built on this earth that can keep me from giving you what I have for you. Not a thing, not a thing. Those walls in your family, those curses, generation to generation, you might say, I don't know what to do. See, I'm knocking those walls down for you. You gotta know I'm for you and not against you. Just walk with me, worship, listen, obey, and see. I will give you the city. There's not a thing, God. There's not a thing, God. There's not a thing, God. Can't give you that he has for you. There's not a one, not a one, not a one that can stop God from giving you what he has. He's undefeated and we are his children. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.